Come on in, friends. Come on in the room. <laughs> My name is Krishanda Torres, your friendly health and wealth coach, and this is Couch Convos with Chris. If this is your first time tuning in, I help African-American women over 40 get rid of sugar and debt because as my favorite poet, Lizelle Graham says, every woman who heals herself ultimately heals her children's children. Now I know it's been a few months since our last chat due to my heart, my plate, and my hands being super full with H3, health coaching, holiness, and of course, homeschooling. But as you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. That brings us to our titillating topic for today. What is homeschooling? I figured it was time we did an episode about it because I get a lot of questions about this subject as a homeschooling mama of two tiny terrifics. So let us chat about homeschooling. And let's start with what homeschooling is and what it isn't to clarify the context of our conversation today. So homeschooling is an innovative effective educational opportunity that gives us as parents and caregivers the freedom and flexibility to tailor the education to each one of our children and our family's needs. But more than that, not just our family's needs, but our family's pace and our family's schedule. So this means that home education will look very different from family to family. And in the homeschooling world, we like to say that it's an actual lifestyle versus a schedule. In a homeschool, in mine in particular, which is known as Readers Are Leaders Academy, um, education is parent-directed. It's customized to meet the needs of my two tiny terrifics and our family's needs. And of course, it's primarily home-based, hence the title homeschooling. And while the educational choices are left up to myself and my husband as the parents, we still must comply with our state homeschooling laws. Now let's talk about what homeschooling is not, friends. Homeschooling is not virtual public school. What we did as a nation during the pandemic from 2020 to 2021, where the kids were at home, but they were online and still dealing with their public school teachers, that was not homeschooling. Okay. Homeschooling is also not getting a curriculum provided through your public school and district. That still falls under the virtual public school realm, which is totally separate from what homeschooling is. So I hope that added a little clarity to what homeschooling is. Now, before we get into all the favorite things that I love about homeschooling, we, of course, have to talk about a brief legal history of homeschooling and how it came to be. So the term homeschooling, it may be a modern invention, but guys, the idea is not. Families around the world have been educating their children at home for centuries. As a matter of fact, It wasn't until 1852 that homeschooling became the exception rather than the norm in the United States. And 1852 was the year that the state of Massachusetts passed the first compulsory school attendance law, which required all children ages 8 to 14 to attend a public school for at least 12 weeks of the year. Of course, other states soon followed suit. And by 1918, all states had a compulsory school attendance law. And although some laws made exceptions for quote unquote equivalent or otherwise provided education, homeschooling unfortunately declined rapidly in popularity and practice. However, many parents did not find the public education system to be a good fit for their child or their family. So they turned instead to other forms of private education, which of course, as you know, became a source of conflict in some states. 
1922, Oregon passed a law that forbade private instruction. And then in Pierce v. Society of Sisters, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, declared Oregon's ban unconstitutional, saying that the child is not the mere creature of the state, affirming a right long taken for granted in America, the right of the parents to choose private schools. So by the mid-1960s and 70s, a small but increasing number of parents with kids in the public school system had become so concerned about the school's failures, the system's failures, that they no longer believed it was the best place for their children to be educated in a state-provided method. And so, after decades of relying on the public education system, there was, in fact, a paradigm shift. By the 1980s, homeschooling was once again on the rise, and states began to amend their compulsory attendance laws in response. So by 1993, homeschooling had become legal in all 50 states. Today, each of the 50 states has its own approach to homeschooling law. And in some states, homeschools are treated as small private schools. Others have adopted specific homeschooling statutes. And still others use administrative regulations. This 50-state solution to education law generally and homeschooling law specifically has always been the norm in our federalist system of dual sovereignty. So, working within the democratic processes, homeschoolers such as myself have dramatically changed the face of education in America one state at a time. Relying on the traditional understanding that education is a state issue, but that constitutional law limits states and their coercive power to command public over private education. I'm going to say that again. Education is a state issue, but constitutional law, which is why constitutional law is so important and why I say hashtag bring back civics, eliminates the states and their coercive power to command public over private education. And so the 50 states have adopted laws that have made private homeschooling a viable option for more and more families such as myself. You often hear myths like children who are homeschooled are not properly socialized. Uh, How do you develop a curriculum? Is the parents even qualified to teach them? And so I wanted to present to you why homeschooling is good for society. And there's four pillars specifically that I wanted to touch on. First, the first pillar is the educational impact. Did you know that homeschoolers typically score 15 to 30 percentile points above public schooled students on the K through 12 standardized academic achievement tests. <gasps> I know, I know, shocker. And don't worry, I will put references at the end of this podcast so that you can get all this information and have it at your hands should you need it. Did you know that a majority of peer reviewed studies point to superior academic achievement among homeschool students compared to public schooled students? Yes, again. Supporting documentation can be found at the end of this podcast to back this up. And studies have shown that homeschool students tend to perform better on the ACT college entrance exams, persevere through college longer, and attain higher GPAs in college. How's that for an educational impact? But wait, I said I was going to give you four pillars. That's just the first one. The second is the social impact. Again, people always say that homeschool children are disadvantaged socially. I say that's a myth, but here's the truth, friends. 
a social science studies and anecdotal evidence emerging from thousands, I say again, thousands of successful homeschool graduates each year has helped to dispel this actual myth. Homeschoolers consistently score higher on tests that rank cooperation, assertiveness, empathy, and self-control. The third pillar, civic impact. Let's look at that. Homeschool students are commonly involved in activities outside the home, such as field trips, scouting, 4-H, political drives, church ministry, sports teams, and community volunteer work. They tend to be very active members of their communities because, again, homeschooling is a way of life. Studies show that adults who are homeschooled vote and attend public meetings at a higher rate than the general population. And finally, the economic impact. Taxpayers spend an average of $15,240 per pupil annually in public school. Today's roughly 7 million homeschool students, which I believe has risen to 11 million as a result of the pandemic, represent a savings of over $160 billion for U.S. taxpayers. How is that for impact for how homeschooling is good for our society? Now, of course... For my statisticians and data folks, there is data on homeschooling, data that supports who homeschools, how many students are being homeschooled, why parents homeschool, and where do they homeschool. We are going to talk about this briefly, but of course, I will provide the source in the um, comments part of the podcast so that you can have this documentation for yourself. So who homeschools, there's a large and diverse population of homeschooling that includes every race and every income level. And you can see this in the data um, source, Hanover Research. Like I said, I'll post a link to that in the um, references of the uh, podcast. But for example, just with um, religious affiliation, 68% who homeschool are Christian, 10% are atheist and agnostic, 2% are Muslim, 1% is Hindu, 1% is Jewish, 1% is Buddhist, 7% prefer not to be enlisted, and 10% prefer not to respond. So as you can see, it spans every religion. Um, It spans every race, Hispanics, whites, blacks, Asians, other races. And it spans every income from the average annual income of less than $25,000 to more than $200,000. You can find data showing people who homeschool. How many students are being homeschooled? Well, according to the most recent Household Pulse survey, this is the survey that addressed the 2020-2021 school year in particular. Of the 32.2 million households in the U.S. that include school-aged children, 11.1% of them included at least one homeschool child. How's that? And based on the data from six household pulse surveys conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau across the 2020-2021 school year, we estimate that 7 to 8 million U.S. school-aged children are being homeschooled. 7 to 8 million children are being homeschooled. And again, due to what happened over the last 24 months, that number has actually been bumped up to 11 million. So let's talk about why parents would homeschool. For the last 20 years, friends, parents raked safety. They ranked safety as the top reason why they chose to homeschool. I can see that in light of all the things that have been happening in society with the increase in school shootings and mass shootings. But now that reason of safety actually slipped to number four. The top 
three reasons now are COVID-19, of course, what happened with COVID-19, greater flexibility was the second reason, and number three, one-on-one attention, moving them into the top three spots, again, safety being number four. Other major regions that parents chose to homeschool rather than send their kids to traditional schools included concerns about academic quality, lack of accommodations for IE special needs, or cost of private schools, as well as, we all are aware of it now, political aspects of public schools and religious reasons. So a lot of people often say, well, where do they homeschool? Well, homeschooling, of course, is more prevalent in small towns and rural areas, but this educational choice, it's growing in leaps and bounds in suburbs and cities. The top four states with the largest percent of families who are homeschooling, believe it or not, are West Virginia, Tennessee, Oregon, and Oklahoma. The top five states that saw the largest growth rate in homeschooling during the COVID-19 pandemic were New York, interestingly enough, Massachusetts, Kansas, Illinois, and Nevada. And so again, all of this data on homeschooling will be available in the reference portion of this podcast so that you may have it at the ready for your e-files. Now, because parents know and love their children better than any government bureaucratic can, society thrives, I believe, when parents are empowered to make the best choice for their children. And that's why Friends Homeschooling works. It's free from over-regulation. Families are able to direct their children's education in a way that best suits their child's individual needs rather than following that one-size-fits-all model because one size does not fit all when it comes to education. And there's policies that reflect this that allow for maximum freedom for home education. These policies help to create successful, flourishing kids and families. So we'll just look at a few of the policies. The right to educational choice. Again, going back to that constitutional case of Pierce v. Society of Sisters, parents should be free to choose how they educate their children. And per that case, private education is a constitutionally guaranteed right. Private education is a constitutionally guaranteed right. I wanted you to catch that. Now, There are some policies such as discrimination against homeschool diplomas, overreach of curriculum and economic policies like 529 accounts and tax credits that benefit only public schooled students and make it difficult for families who choose anything other than public education. And it should not be this way. Legislation should allow families to exercise their right to educational freedom and not inhibit them. And I'm happy to tell you more about a great organization that's helping with that. Low government regulation of homeschooling is another policy. Because homeschooling is a form of private education and is separate from public education, it's not subject to the same government regulations. What does that mean? Does that mean it's less than quality? Absolutely not. It means that families can tailor their children's education to suit their child's needs. Now, if the government were to start heavily regulating home education, the flexibility that makes homeschooling successful would be suppressed. And so if the presumption is that parents act in the best interest of their children, is burdensome regulation of homeschooling necessary? No. 
one of the other policies that I love about homeschooling is the diversity of homeschooling methods. That's why I clarified at the beginning of our conversation what homeschooling was versus what people think it is. It's not virtual public school, right? The customization and flexibility of home education has given rise to a wide variety of homeschooling methods from interest-driven learning like Montessori, which you know is focused on hands-on and collaborative play, and Finland's forest kindergarten, you know, where children spend up to 95% of their time learning outdoors, to more traditional textbook learning. Again, as I said, homeschooling is catered to the child and the family, so it looks very different in each household compared to public school education. And regardless of their educational approach, most parents, they weave hands-on immersion learning opportunities based on each child's interest and ability into their day-to-day educational rhythm. You can do lots of books, little books, lots of reading, not too much reading, lots of math. That's the beauty of homeschooling. You get to craft it to each one of your children's educational needs and the family's needs. The diversity of homeschooling learning styles. You can do curriculum, instructional approaches. You can even do educational assessment mythologies, which make it challenging to fit into that rigid box often created by the educational regulation. And unlike students following a traditional school's inflexible curriculum, no homeschool child learns the same way as another homeschool student. As I said, some homeschool families have a set curriculum they plan to use for the year. Other homeschool families use much more organic, student-directed learning methods. Officials can't reasonably ask these spontaneous, interest-driven homeschoolers to list their curriculum at the beginning of the year. Because again, it's based on what is best for the student. And there's a myth out there that uh, when it comes to homeschooling, homeschool children aren't tested. Again, the flexibility makes it incredible for the parent. In my case, um, we use a flexible curriculum. We use many different curriculums depending on what my two tiny terrifics need. And the same thing when it comes to testing. Many homeschool kids are thriving because they can study different subjects at the grade level they're on or in a time frame that works for them. They can even be above grade level according to the state standards because of the flexibility of the homeschooling curriculum. And this is not the same as when you're dealing with a public school curriculum schedule. Perfect example, when my children were in public school, they had silent lunch. I thought that was the most bizarre idea ever. Who goes to lunch and doesn't socialize? Not only did they have silent lunch, but when it was time for recess, after sitting in class for eight hours, they only got a 20-minute recess break. Excuse me. Now, they get four hours of play or more, depending on how quickly they finish their work. Of course, many families do choose to homeschool for religious reasons or because their students have learning challenges or gifts. And a homeschool program, while still covering what is necessary for a student to learn, again, I'm going to beat this horse until it's dead, is tailored to each specific student. That makes it difficult for a third-party official trained in just grade-by-grade mass education to determine if it's appropriate by government standards. But let's be clear. There are homeschooling academic testing that we use to uh, gather data to see where our children are. I like the Iowa standardized testing because it's actually harder than what they use in public school. And when I get my results from testing my two tiny terrifics, it helps me know, hmm, okay, 
My son is more gifted in reading than in math. Oh, in this area of math specifically, we just got to work a little bit, but let's continue to keep him going in reading because he's on sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, depending on what grade level he's currently in. I can see a little bit further where he's at. I can see that my daughter, even though she's the younger one and, you know, when she was in public school, they tried to say she wasn't on grade level for reading, but that's because they weren't working with her one-on-one, and yet they were talking to her about political ideologies, such as she could be a boy if she wanted to, when she didn't need to have that spoken to her at five years old. That is the reason I pulled her then out of public school. That's a whole nother story for another day, but she hadn't mastered her phonics yet. But having, having doing this Iowa testing, I can see, oh, She's gifted in math. She's above grade level in math, and that's where I currently have her. And we're working on the areas that she needs to work on in her reading. That's the beauty of the homeschool flexibility, okay? Less regulation allows these various approaches, like I mentioned, Montessori, Finland Forest, to flourish so that each family is free to choose the method that is best for them and their children, just like I gave you the example with my actual children. One of the other policies I love is non-discrimination. Because homeschooling is not the primary education method in the U.S., from time to time, homeschool students and graduates are sometimes discriminated against in both public legislation and private sector policies. And whether that discrimination appears when applying for driver's permits, minor work permits, certain scholarships, these regulations deprive employers and colleges of actually hardworking creative thinkers. Now, don't panic though. Legislation has been effectively implemented to end discrimination toward homeschool students and graduates in some areas, but other areas still need improvement. And again, I'm going to tell you about the organization that I love and support fully because that's what they do. They advocate for us as homeschoolers. Parent-directed education, as I said, The curriculum, the schedule, the pace are directed by my husband and myself rather than being set by a school or government official who doesn't know my children. And many families, again, choose to homeschool for this specific reason, including faith-based, not just Christians homeschool, many Muslim families, many Jewish families, many Sikh families, as well as other families of faith because they want to include religious teachings in their homeschool curriculum, which is a choice that public schools have prohibited in state curriculum. And then for those families that have children with learning disabilities or advanced gifts or talents, they're better served and can be better served at home with that tailor-made, one-on-one, parent-directed education model. One of the things I love is that policies regarding homeschool curriculum protect must protect, not should or could, must protect the rights of parents to customize their children's education, especially regarding religious freedom, unique gifts, and interest and special needs or disabilities. This is why I homeschool, friends. This is why I homeschool. The flexibility to design a curriculum for my tiny terrifics that helps them flourish. I know what my son wants to be when he's growing up, when he gets older. Not just as he's growing up, but when he gets older, he's already made that clear because, and it's also come out, it's been amplified in the curriculum that we use and the subjects that he uh, migrates towards. I don't have to wait till he's 18 to ask him what he wants to be. I see it shaping right now and I can help him achieve that. The same with my daughter. Now let's talk about a subject that most people don't like to talk about. 
the government regulation. Okay. There are current government regulations. Homeschooling is not just the wild, wild west, willy nilly. You just do whatever you want. No. State governments should give broad freedom and flexibility to empower us as parents to custom tailor an educational program that meets the unique gifts of each child. There's no available research, friends, that has found correlation between increased state regulation and the academic outcomes of homeschool students. But there is, however, extensive anecdotal evidence that public school officials are often poorly positioned to review the effectiveness of homeschool programs. That's not their area of expertise. In addition to often lacking understanding of the diversity of homeschooling and how it actually works, public school officials are frequently unaware of the laws regarding homeschooling and sometimes end up falsely accusing homeschooling families of non-compliance or truancy. And again, I'm going to share the organization with you that can help you with that. Again, I am a, a proponent and supporter of this organization because they have been instrumental in helping me in my homeschool journey not to feel intimidated, not to feel afraid to take my children's education into my hands and teach them myself. Every state... I say again, every state recognizes the right of parents to educate their children at home. As I gave you the brief legal history of homeschooling, homeschooling is legal in all 50 states. And the degree to which government regulates homeschooling, however, does vary from state to state. Most states do have a homeschool statute or specific homeschool regulations, while some states such as Texas and California recognize homeschooling as education in a home-based private school or a unique category of instruction outside of a, of a traditional public school. Now, in addition to these options, some states also recognize that groups of homeschoolers, such as we have in my community, a co-op, may be classified as a non-public or religious school rather than as homeschools. And several states provide more than one legal option. And We'll talk more about how you can learn about those legal options as we continue in our discussion. Like I said, I am a huge proponent and champion, and if I didn't mention the name already, let me do so now, of the Home School Legal Defense Association because they are champions of freedom and liberty. And like I said, they have helped me immensely so that I hope that as we finish this conversation and I provide you their information, if you have any questions about homeschooling, they can help you too. There is one myth that is often talked about with homeschooling. They often say parents aren't qualified to teach their children. You do not have to have a master's degree in education to homeschool your child. Let's, let's, let's be factual. Let's talk about the truth versus the myth. So that's the myth. You're not qualified to teach your child. Well, here's the truth. State governments should avoid rigid qualifications that inhibit parents' liberty to homeschool their children. A common criticism, as I said, of homeschooling is that parents are not qualified to teach their children unless they are also trained certified teachers. Excuse me, let me pause here for a second. First of all, before they showed up to the public school, who taught them to eat, walk, speak? It certainly wasn't the public school. It was the parent, but I digress. Now, the Federal Elementary and Secondary Education Act contains a provision that prohibits federal funding for nationwide teacher certifications of all public, private, and homeschool instructors. That's unfortunate, 
but that's a fact right now. As I said, we're going to talk about the truth versus the myth. But don't be disheartened, friends. Homeschooling parents actually have several advantages in their teaching role, regardless of their academic background. Number one, small class size with frequent one-on-one instruction has been shown and backed by research to be one of the most effective educational models. Not a classroom of 40 students per one teacher. Number two, access to a plethora of curricular and educational support resources that empower us as parents to provide an enriching and engaging educational experience for our children. We have the ability to customize the curriculum, as I said earlier, the pace, the academic level, and to schedule each one of our children without bureaucratic or budgetary red tape. We have a deep long-term experience with and understanding of our child's personality, our strengths, our growth, our, our, their opportunities, their interests, and their dislikes. So what am I saying? What I'm saying, generally speaking, absolutely, for my children in particular, but generally speaking, the person most qualified to homeschool a child is that child's loving parent. I'm going to let that marinate for a second. Now, some states do require some form of parental qualification to homeschool, but take heart, friends. No state requires more than a high school diploma. Like I said, you don't have to be a trained, certified teacher. You don't have to have a master's in education with an emphasis or a major in early childhood education in order to homeschool your own children. Even though I myself do, you don't have to. A high school diploma or its equivalent. That's why I said I love the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, HSLDA. They've successfully litigated several cases that struck down requirements that parents had to possess a teaching license or an advanced degree. If you haven't joined that organization, friends, I encourage you to do so. And because most parents have the right to direct the education of their children, teacher certification requirements that would would, would make homeschooling impossible have been deemed unlawful. Again, you don't have to have a advanced degree. You do not have to have a teacher certification to homeschool your children. Most states require a high school diploma or its equivalent. And Homeschool Legal Defense Association, HSLDA, is an invaluable resource if you run into any issues there. If you run into any issues with homeschooling, I encourage you to join, if not already, the HSLDA. That's one of our family's budget line items that we never skip, is making sure that our membership is current with HSLDA. Now, what do you have to do? What are the current government regulations? You do have to notify of your notify your state of your intent to homeschool. State governments should require as little paperwork as possible when it comes to the notice of intent to homeschool. And as I said, many of HSLDA's cases involve school districts who have misplaced the paperwork, misunderstood, misunderstood notification laws, or again have falsely accused parents of incorrectly notifying the state of their intent to homeschool. Unnecessary regulation often leads to confusion and investigations into families who did nothing wrong. That is what HSLDA is for. A majority of states have an option that require parents to file a formal homeschool notification with the state or local school district, but some states do not require notification. Only um, two states, Massachusetts and Rhode Island, authorize school officials to approve homeschool programs. So if you don't live in those two states, you don't have to worry about having to get your homeschool program approved. You just have to file your notification of your intent to homeschool. 
one of the other myths is uh, that you have to get your curriculum from the state. Again, state provided curriculum from the state or the school board. That's not homeschooling. State governments should avoid mandating content-based restrictions on what homeschool parents may or may not teach beyond the general subjects. For example, I live in South Carolina. The state law for South Carolina is reading, writing, math, science, and social studies. That's it. Not how I teach it or what items I can use. They just give me the general subjects that must be taught. Regulating what a homeschool parent must include within a certain subject area or how they must teach results in government actors substituting their judgment for that of us as parents concerning what is best for each child. There are more than 30 states that mandate that homeschool programs include instruction in specific subjects, which is fine. You can mandate. You have to teach math. Just don't mandate or try to mandate what type of math I have to use. I'm glad I live in South Carolina where uh, they believe that you have the freedom and flexibility to teach your children what you think they need to know what is best for them. This is the bare minimum we require you to meet. But aside from that, we're not going to get in the business of parenting your children and teaching your children because they're your children, which shout out to Governor McMasters for being amazing and all of the elected officials in the state of South Carolina. Now. There are 18 states who do not mandate what subjects must be taught. And three states mandate specific credit requirements for graduation. If you want to know more about which states those are, you know, I'm happy to respond to uh, any correspondence you send me from this podcast. Again, the how to contact me will be at the end of this podcast, along with all of these references, because I am a fan of research. I'm a fan of having the uh, supporting evidence to make to file to follow up the claims that are made not just anecdotal evidence which they like to categorize your personal experience as but the data that supports us so there are of course government regulations regarding assessments as i said it's easy to think that more oversight leads to better education but as proof of that our public education system is proof of that no it doesn't lead to better education there's actually no available research to suggest that there's any such correlation. As a matter of fact, burdening school officials with reviewing homeschool student progress requires more government resources without any noticeable benefit. And some states, they require a periodic assessment of academic progress. Typically, these assessment requirements include, you know, like I said earlier, those standardized testing, progress reports, evaluation by a qualified teacher, or a portfolio review of school records sufficient to demonstrate adequate progress. And again, that's why I highly encourage membership in HSLDA because you can find your specific state requirements on their website. And again, I'll give you that website at the end of our conversation. Um, That's where I learned about my state laws, what organization I needed to be a part of, what option I had for homeschooling. They made it really seamless and uh, assuaged any fears that I might have that I wasn't going to be a good homeschooling teacher or that I wasn't qualified or I was going to mess up my children as if I could mess them up more than what she experienced, my daughter in particular, in the public school setting. But again, that's a whole nother story for another day. So when it comes to current government regulations, friends, state governments recognize that parents have a primary right and responsibility to educate their children. And they recognize that this liberty empowers parents to educate their children free from unnecessary government intrusion. I I agree. We do have to have laws. We do have to have regulations 
but it should be to help me do my job as a parent, not to hinder me as a parent. Let's talk about the uh, federal role in homeschool. A lot of people um, don't know about this. And I think this actually, if you ask Krishanda her opinion, I think this ties into what's going on with the uh, student loans right now, as a matter of fact, and the loan forgiveness and why it can't be approved at this point. Really, Krishanda? Yes, that's what I think. But let's get into it and let's see what you think. Okay. So when it comes to the federal role in homeschooling, the 10th Amendment to the Constitution, and again, this is another plug for Make Civics Great Again. This is why we need to have um, civics classes. This is why I love homeschooling, because that's one of the things we do is civics as well as financial literacy to give my children, my tiny terrifics and the other families in the co-op that I'm a part of the tools that they need to help their children be successful in real life. Yes, you need reading. Yes, you need math, right? But you also need to be able to read cursive. You also need to be able to understand what civil discourse is versus vehement disagreement, right? These are all things that we should be learning in the public school system that we're not, that is beneficial in the homeschooling environment because the parents can cater that to their children and their family's needs, as I said. So back to the 10th Amendment. So the 10th Amendment to the Constitution. This amendment is important because it enumerates which powers belong to the federal government. Why is that important? It does not mention education. I'll say it again. It does not mention education. So this implies that all power related to education is reserved for the people and the states. That's why I said it's interesting and must be applicable to student loan forgiveness. We'll come back to that though. The federal government cannot force one type of education on the whole country, nor may it directly regulate or ban homeschool. Now, it may implement policies that prevent discrimination against homeschoolers. So while it can't ban homeschooling, it may implement policies that prevent that discrimination we talked about earlier. What type of policies? FAFSA. The Federal Students Aid website, it explicitly states that anyone who has completed high school in a home educating setting in compliance with their state's homeschool laws is eligible. So you can be homeschooled and still take advantage of FAFSA as long as you've completed your your education has been in compliance with the state's homeschooling laws. That's why it's important. That's what the federal role in homeschooling is. The military. For most of you who've been with me over the years that I've done this podcast, you know I'm a retired veteran, right? So the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012 confirmed that homeschool graduates must be treated the same as any other high school graduate for the purpose of enlistment. So a homeschool graduate can enlist in the military if they so choose. I think that's fabulous. I love that. They should not be discriminated just because they had a different form of education. One of my early airmen was a homeschooled airman all 12 years of his life, and he was a phenomenal troop. 529s. Currently, families can use a 529 savings account for K-12 through private and public school expenses. However, homeschool families are excluded from this provision. This is a discriminatory policy that I believe Congress needs to address, and I'm sure HSLDA is already working on that. Because again, like I said, they're champions of freedom and liberty for our homeschool families. Labor laws. The Department of Labor states that 14 and 15 year olds cannot work during school hours and defines school hours as those hours that the local public school is in session. However, as I said, not all private or homeschool students have the same schedule as their public school peers. And this policy 
unjustly prohibits them from gaining work experience or participating in internships during their flexible daytime hours. Again, this is a policy that I believe that Congress needs to address, and I'm sure HSLDA is already working on. As a matter of fact, yes, they are actually working with Congress and other officials. I was looking at my notes to resolve the discriminatory policies related to the 529 savings accounts and labor hours for 14 and 15 year old homeschool students. Here's what I want you to take away from our time together today, friends. Homeschooling works. I say again, homeschooling works. But why, Krishanda? Because it combines freedom and flexibility with caring personal involvement because parents can provide a personalized education to their kids. And because we can provide a personal education to our children, our children have the freedom to pursue their passions, develop their skills, and even work toward their career or college aspirations at a much younger age since they aren't subject to that one-size-fits-all model. I believe as a homeschooling mama and most homeschooling parents would agree that all children should have the opportunity to receive an education that allows them to thrive. The future is bright for education choice. Recent years have highlighted the importance of public, excuse me, of private education and the ability to avoid relying on one education system. As parents, we're feeling more empowered than ever especially with the results that came out of the last 24 months to guide our children's education. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be an issue or a challenge. It does still mean that the battle to protect education freedom for our children, for this current generation and for future generations is more important than ever. So I have a question for you, friends. Will you? Will you? help to keep homeschooling free and strong. And you're probably like, well, Krishanda, how do I do that? That's a great question, friends. I want to tell you more about the organization responsible for equipping me with all of this information about homeschooling and what it is, what it isn't, what's, why is it good for society, the data, all of the information I shared with you today. That is the Homeschooling Legal Defense Association, HSLDA, as they're better known as. They are the political advocacy arm of Homeschool Legal Defense Association. It's a member-based nonprofit foundation that was founded in 1983 for the sole purpose of advancing and protecting the freedom to homeschool. HSLDA believes that every child is different and should be able to learn at their own pace in a safe and loving environment and that every family, your family, my family, should have the freedom to choose the education that works best for our children. Not only do they believe that, but they defend this freedom in the courts and legislators and equip families like mine, like yours, with the encouragement and support to homeschool with confidence. Together with our member community, HSLDA Action fights to protect the freedom to homeschool against any person who wishes to undermine it. And they do it through their grassroots political engagement, education on the issues, and the building of partnerships with other organizations and candidates who support the cause of homeschooling. What greater cause than we do we have than our children and championing championing educational freedom? So a lot of people like to know, well, okay, Krishanda, what does HSLDA action seek to do? Let me wrap it up like this. HSLDA seeks to advance opportunities for home education in the public arena, 
to educate those skeptics who keep telling you those myths that I hope I dispelled with this information today, to educate legislators, to educate the public on its advantages, and to show the world how much children can benefit from home education. So friends, if you'd like to learn more about homeschooling and policy issues related to education freedom, you can do so at hslda.action.org. I say again, you can learn more about homeschooling, policy issues related to education freedom, or get any questions you have about your state homeschooling laws answered at hsldaaction, all one word, dot org. Finally, friends, if this podcast added value or resonated with you, I invite you to join me again. I also invite you to do one of the following. Join my Facebook group at HTTPS. Cheers to your health and wealth. You can find it just under the name Cheers to your health and wealth. You can get involved with all of our offerings. You can take a look at all of our exciting events at creshondatorres.iinhealthcoaching.co or you can visit my website at www.creshondatorres.com. All of these links as well as the references for the conversation today will be posted in the podcasting notes. Thanks so much for joining me today, friends. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and I pray that you have a happy and healthy holiday season. Until next time, friends, cheers to your health.